0: Well, hello again. I'm Tony Payne. Welcome to another edition of Two Ways News. This week we're going to be talking about the call to ministry. Because last week in our conversation, or I think it was last week, Philip mentioned that he'd been speaking at the Campus Bible Study LIFT conference. And LIFT stands for Looking Into Full Time. And so it's one of those conferences that help students and graduates and others think through whether they should pursue full-time paid ministry. And we thought it was a topic worth returning to because evangelicals often struggle to get this subject right or get the right balance. Sometimes we're accused of making kind of too big a deal of full-time ministry, as if implicitly or even explicitly, we're saying that people who don't go into full-time Christian work are somehow second-rate In fact, there's recently been some criticism of a phrase that we've often used about full-time ministry that Philip and others have used called blokes worth watching as if it embodies a kind of elitist culture of ministry recruitment. That's worth digging into. Mind you, at other times, we seem to flip to the other direction. We panic about the minister drought and bemoan the fact that No one's being challenged to go into full-time ministry anymore, and I seem to remember that being very much the topic of conversation not all that long ago. So is it possible to avoid these problems? What's the right way to challenge people to consider full-time Christian ministry without devaluing those who don't pursue that path? And so Philip Jensen and I had a conversation that I recorded just a couple of days ago about these very things. And I began by asking him what the basic message was or challenge that he wants to bring to his hearers at a conference like the Lyft Conference. Well, I'm challenging people to ministry.
1: That is, Jesus, when he called upon people to be his disciples, he calls upon us to deny ourselves, take up the cross, follow him to lose our life for his sake and the Gospels. And so I'm calling upon people to minister the Gospel. It's not a call to paid ministry, it's a call to ministry. It's a call to living your life in the service of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because you can't just live for Jesus and not live for the cause of Jesus as well. One aspect, one form of Christian ministry is to be paid for it but the difference between paid ministry and unpaid ministry is is basically twofold it's basically twofold one is time and the other is money frankly uh, it's it's a fairly crude difference but the person who teaches sunday school or runs a youth fellowship or runs a home bible study group they're engaged in the ministry of the gospel it's paid for by their work, as I suppose to put it in a kind of biblical phrase, as, as tent makers. They, they work during the week as engineers or school teachers or, or nurses. They're doing their work. They're paying for their own life. And in their free time, disposable time, whatever you want to call it, they're ministering the gospel. But some people... Stop doing the looking after the tents. Like Paul, as soon as the money came from Philippi in Corinth, he stopped building tents and was able to be freed full time for the pay that he'd received in order to be able to minister the gospel. So the difference is money and time, but it's the same activity that is teaching the word of God to people.
0: It's the job of every Christian, isn't it? It's interesting how Luther put that, that all Christians are called in that sense to the priestly sort of work of being like Christ, of laying down their lives for others and speaking the gospel to others and praying for others. And those of us who end up doing that full-time or in a paid capacity or in a recognized capacity, it's almost like we're a subset of all Christian ministers. We're not a special class.
1: Uh, Absolutely. It's important
0: that we, we see... the. The person who
1: teaches the three-year-olds in Sunday school and the person who's preaching the sermon to the families are doing the same activity. And sometimes preaching the three-year-olds is more difficult. Um, it, it's not as if there's a first-class or second-class activity when you come to teaching the Word of God to people because there's not first-class, second-class people and it's the Word of God that you are teaching either way. Um, some jobs require people to be freed up from other concerns to be able to do it. And some people's gifts are such that the Christian community wants to free them up to be able to do more of it.
0: So the call is to ministry, to serve Jesus with everything we have, one aspect of which might be that you do that in this kind of paid full-time way. How do you call people to that kind of ministry? man? what's your approach? <laughs> Fundamentally, the the
1: approach is to preach the gospel.
0: That no, sounds it a sounds, bit
1: cliched. It, it sounds a bit cliché and it sounds simplistic. But I'm afraid we don't preach the gospel these days as we should preach the gospel. The, the challenge that Jesus makes to become a Christian is so radical, is so demanding. It puts such priority on our time and our efforts, on our prayers, on our money, on our lives, that once you've actually embraced that gospel message, you will minister the gospel freely, happily in any opportunity and any way that you can. But when people soft pedal on the teachings of Jesus, when people say, Well, you can be a Christian and as well as that do these other things, then the other things take over and the preaching of the gospel falls into the background. It's for some people Sunday morning is their is their church hobby. You know, Saturday morning they play golf, Sunday morning they go to church. Some of us do both, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with playing golf. There's something wrong with some people's golf playing, but there's nothing wrong with playing golf per se. (laughs) But is that the same priority as serving the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that the same value, importance and significance to your life? Jesus would have none of that. Jesus called upon people to be totally committed, and if we are to lay down our lives for his sake and the Gospels, then our golf playing must fit into laying down our lives. It mustn't, And our church going mustn't be just kind of the thing we do on Sunday morning. All of our lives needs to be given over to the cause of the Gospel. Our money, our time, the way we raise our children, the, the priorities we have in everything in life must come under the Gospel. And I'm afraid because we don't preach the gospel vigorously, because we don't make clear that Jesus' call is a total call, the the lordship of Jesus is a reality, that we are the slaves of the risen Lord Jesus, because we're not preaching the gospel, we don't see people giving up their small ambitions to come into Christian ministry either part-time or full-time.
0: I believe on the weekend just past you preached on 2 Corinthians 5 as part of this message. And I remember many years ago you preaching on that and it being quite a a determinative and key verse for me in God's challenge to me to lay down my life. Because the love of Christ compels us because one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that they might not live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. If Christ has died for me, I have died. And a whole new existence now comes into being, in which I live not for myself but for Him, and so the call to live for Him, and as that passage unfolds, to live for others, to be ambassadors of Christ to others, it's kind of integral to the gospel itself. Yes, I challenge people in their singing. See, we sing a lovely
1: song these days. I think Michael Morrow wrote it. I can't. I think he did. Called this life. Uh, this life I live is not my own. Mm. People sing it with gusto. I challenge them to stop and think about it. (laughs) Is it really my own? Is it really Christ's? Well, then how am I going to be living for Christ? You see, gospel preaching is not an add-on to the church program. It's got to be integral to the church program. It's the basis and heart of everything. Well, Christian ministry is the same. Because Jesus' challenge to to become one of his disciples, to be a Christian, is a challenge to be committed to the cause of world mission. It's the challenge to be committed to living our lives, not for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. And so it's something that must be part and parcel of our Christian fellowship in every week. Now, these conferences you mentioned are are conferences which concentrate on this particular topic. But these conferences don't work if the the weekly church teaching, the weekly fellowship gatherings that uh, sponsor these conferences aren't equally committed to world mission and to preaching the gospel regularly and consistently. Where the gospel claim on Christian life is being taught a conference on the topic is a straightforward, easy thing. But if that is not being taught properly all the time, then to have a special conference on world mission, it doesn't actually stem and flow from our understanding of the gospel.
0: How else does it play out in church life? So if a church is preaching that gospel and seeing the call to ministry and to be, as it were, a disciple-making disciple is, is integral to the Christian life and to our response from the gospel. How else does that play itself out in church life? Well, I think it it involves the pastor and
1: the pastoral team training people. I remember preaching uh, on prayer, uh, a five, six-week series on prayer, which you very kindly turned into a book called Prayer and the Voice of God. At the end of it, one of the uh, dear saints of the cathedral, an elderly lady and a lovely lady, came to me and said, Philip, that was the best sermon series on prayer she'd ever heard. It's a little difficult to avoid pride sometimes. And as I'm being puffed up by this wonderful acclaim, she went on to say, but you know, as a result of this sermon, no one's going to pray any more than they did before you started. There was a nice pin prick right through the bubble at that point in time. She was a great saint, and she really cared for me, and she cared for God's people, and she was doing the right thing. She says, "Unless you teach us how to pray, unless you come and actually train us in prayer, we're not going to do anything different than we did beforehand. We just now know what we're not doing." (laughs) So she was right, absolutely right, and put the finger. Well, it's the same with evangelism. I can tell people to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the gospel. But if I'm not going to train people in the gospel and how it's to be taught and trained, then I can't really expect them to be doing it. And so training everybody. I remember we gave up the idea of having membership in church because membership in, in modern Australian English That's something that's static. You know, I'm a member of a golf club, which means I pay annual fees. I may or may not play golf. I may or may not even go to the clubhouse, but I'm I'm a member. Well, likewise, you can be a member of a church, which means I I give money sometimes or I attend regularly. But no, no, what we want are partners in the gospel. That's what we're called upon to be. And when you're a partner in the gospel, then you get trained to do whatever ministry you can do but to be trained in general ministry that is how to pray how to read the bible with somebody how to share the gospel with people just kind of the basic skills of ministry that are required for all and then you may have special training like how to be a song leader or how to play your saxophone or How to be a children's worker or how to visit people. Or how to lead a small group, something like that. How to lead a small group, yes. There's there's all those specialised ministries. But you get everybody trained in what is the gospel and how to share it and how to read the Bible with somebody, how to pray with people. It's a kind of following Just for Starters, following the uh, Two Ways to Live program, the book that you've just produced, Tony, which is
0: called learn the gospel learn
1: the gospel yes it's something for every member it's not just for the ministers every member needs to go through a book like that
0: to learn the gospel so that they can not only grasp and know it but then step two learn to share the gospel
1: yeah and so it I, I shouldn't say everybody can sh- learn a book like that I should really say everybody should learn that book that's a good one to, <laughs> to take people through that that's a basic for the whole congregation, turning the congregation into partners in the gospel is major pastoral s- step forward.
0: It's very important to say, and there's lots of different ways we can do this, lots of different kinds of training we could do, lots of different kinds of skills or basic knowledge. They're all variations of much the same kind of thing. You don't have to use my book, Learn the Gospel, although it's a good book and you might like to use Learn the Gospel. Um, but however you do it, uh, in my experience and in churches I've spoken to, and I've I've visited a lot of churches and spoken to a lot of churches over the last 10 years, kind of post the trellis and the vine, one of the things that's really struck me is how many churches don't have any space within their ministries and programs and the life of their congregation to teach and train Christians in some of these basic understandings of what the gospel is and how I can minister it to others in some way, how I can minister it in my family or to my Christian brothers and sisters, let alone to the world. That's why it's so fundamental that the gospel
1: and its ministry has to be central to what our church program is all about. If it's central, then training our people people as partners in that activity is the obvious next step, so to speak. And because it's in that context of people working together in the ministry of the gospel that you start to see certain people who are really the people that should be doing it full time, the people that we should set aside from their everyday work life in order that they can spend more time both in being trained fully, but also in working in the ministry of the gospel.
0: And so in your ministry practice, Philip, and I suppose I was a personal participant in this, you looked out for people who you thought had potential, who were worth investing in or worth calling to minister paid in full time.
1: Yeah, we called them blokes worth watching. The, the people that, as you see them doing it, you realise that they've not just got the conviction and the character which you want in every Christian, but they have certain competencies in doing it as well, and so not everybody has the same competency. You hope every Christian will have the same convictions and character, so you're training everybody in that. But there are just some people who have got a gift of teaching. They've got a gift of relating to people, etc. And so you 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 particularly spend some time. With them.
0: Now, that phrase blokes worth watching has come in for a bit of criticism recently, and it can be taken various ways. I mean, it can, for a start, sound like it's a very male thing. These are blokes you're looking at, and it's a very male dominated sort of class of people you're looking for, perhaps. Is that what blokes worth watching is about?
1: People have got terrible sensitivities about words these days. Do you know the word trigger? It can no longer be used in a trigger alert. In America, there are several universities that have now banned trigger alerts. Because it's associated with guns. guns. And guns are such a problem in America that actually using the word trigger can trigger people's concerns about Oops, guns. you've just
0: done it again. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Blokes worth watching, Yes. Forget the word, it's the concept that matters, I don't care. I mean, some people worry about it because it comes from a particular English practice and culture. Well, that's the English problem, that's not mine, I'm an Australian. It's not elitist in the sense of, here are the really high-quality people. It's got to do with competency. The high-quality people are in the conviction and uh, and character. That's where the high-quality comes. See, the ones who whom Jesus sees are great in the kingdom of heaven, are those who keep the word of God. They're the great ones. Right? The people who come, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, do mighty miracles in your name? He says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Uh, so it's not, you don't think like the world thinks. See that verse that you, you quite rightly point to in 2 Corinthians 5, that... We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised. Next verse. Therefore, we no longer think of people in the same way. You see, from now on, we see people as the new creatures in Christ. Jesus.
0: We no longer think in the flesh. It's, it's now a whole
1: new creation. A whole new way of thinking. And so you can hear me say a phrase like Blokeworth watching and think, oh, he's looking for a certain kind of quality people or... First class citizens as opposed, but that just shows you haven't understood how I think you just have in fact you haven't understood how the apostle thinks about people. Here are people who God has given special gifts to that we want to say, well if that's the special gift this person gives has been given, we need to encourage it and in particular uh, if they've got this gift of evangelism of Bible teaching, which is above and beyond the normal, a competency that is unusual, then that is exactly the person we should spend more time to challenging about giving up their small ambitions in life to spend more time doing that which is the great ambition in life, serving the Lord Jesus Christ and his message of salvation. And that challenge is going to lead them to great suffering because The more you preach the gospel, the more you lay down your life for Jesus and the gospel, the more your life will be taken from you as people persecute you and reject you and say all manner of evil because it's a cross-bearing
0: activity that we're all engaged in. And so the call of the gospel, especially the call to look for people who have these particular gifts, it's not about elitism or about people who occupy a strata in society and who are the best people at all, but nor is it just limited to men. The word blokes is just a a colloquial term we used at one time, but I think when we redid it all in the Trellis and the Vine in 2007, we just said persons worth watching (laughs) because it is men and women. It's people who are worth
1: watching. Well, it's because language has changed, who I used to make fun of it by saying blokes and blokesses. I remember that. (laughs) just to make fun at the problem that people have with languages and with language. But yes, you can call it persons, you can call it Christians worth watching if you like. Use whatever phrase you like. The aim, the, the idea is that we are looking for those who have the particular gifts of competencies in the ministry of the gospel whom we're going to be challenging them to take on the work in a much more full-time capacity. And and may I say, that will be different in, say, Australia than in Ethiopia because we are such a wealthy, educated people here. We have got enormous greater competencies just because of our background than you have in many other parts of the world where people are not rich, cannot give up their uh, ambitions... Because their ambitions are not small. Their ambitions have got to do with life or death, being able to provide for their families and the
0: like. You've mentioned the famous three Cs, uh, our convictions, our character, and the competency, the things we can do. People sometimes mention a fourth C of capacity. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good idea. It's a good addition to the concepts. See, convictions and character are a loop As you grow in convictions, you grow in character. As you grow in character, you grow in convictions. So it's a loop back and forth. And it's in that context that your competencies must be nourished. If you do not nourish your competencies in convictions and character, then I'm afraid your competencies will go off the rails and they'll take you off the rails as well. Because the great youth group leader, who is fantastic in getting everybody to follow him, but is himself a heretic and an immoral person, has got the whole youth group going off into heresy and immorality. Uh, it's, the character conviction is much more important than the competencies, and that must be the ground in which the competencies must be nourished and, and and taught and and encouraged. But part of your competency, and it's an important part, is a person's capacity for doing things because there are some of us who are very good at doing things but really have very low energy levels and there are other people who have very large energy levels and likewise there are people who have got great wealth and education and can push much further than people who come from impoverished backgrounds and have very little education it's not that they can't and sometimes some of the great ones have come from the poorest of backgrounds. But there's just obvious capacity differences between people that need to be paid, we, we need to pay attention to. And the person who can do much, much will be required of them. The person who has much, much will be required of them. And here in Sydney, we have many rich young rulers who need to give up their money and come
0: Follow the Lord Jesus Christ, which kind of moves us into the the obstacles or the barriers to calling people not just to full time or paid ministry, but to ministry generally. How do you think about the things that stand in the way? And I guess in a way that means why do we sometimes fail to call people into ministry and recruit them for ministry as we could or should? Some of the
1: competencies which are really important are. Uh, a relational uh, suitability. Another is the capacity to articulate or to understand. It's very hard to be a, a Bible teacher if you have difficulty understanding or you have difficulty articulating. And it's very difficult if you've got no rapport with people. Uh, it may not be all those three. I mean, some of our friends who are on a particular spectrum uh, have enormous abilities of understanding, but their abilities to articulate in a relational fashion, their what they call emotional intelligence, their emotional intelligence, can actually be a great limitation to their capacity for doing this work.
0: Now, since that's a limitation in their aptness to teach, if you want to put it in one Timothy three yes. concepts, being able to teach is not just being able to understand, nor even being able to regurgitate back, it's... It's being able to teach people so that people learn. Yes, that's right. One of the
1: big obstacles is the church or the denomination, because if they're not committed to world mission, then they will not challenge people to it or will not direct people to it. If they're not committed to gospeling or uh, if they're not challenging people to it, then you won't find people leaving, but... Part of that comes to from our church growth philosophies and theologies. That is, the most able, capable people are the ones that we want to send into the world to preach the gospel. But the most able, capable people are the ones who will be most beneficial to building our own church. And so you've got to have that gospel generosity in the heart and mind of the pastor and the elders of a church that will give away their their most able people, the most capable ministers, to give them away to the cause of the gospel rather than to the building of their empire. And I think many many find this difficult, especially in little churches where there's only two or three people who are working really with me. To see them leave really makes it very difficult for the local pastor. And so it's not that he stands in the way so much as he doesn't think about that as a possibility. He just so rejoices in the two or three or four that he's got with him that he cannot realise God will provide more generously to the generous giver. And so he should be giving these people away by encouraging them to leave in order to do bigger work than the work in their own church. So the church can be one of the big obstacles to it as well. But I think the main one in Australia is affluence. It's just materialism.
0: So what stands in the way of of people being called into ministry is, I cannot come, I have I bought a cow, I, <laughs> I, I must yeah. go and look at the field that I've purchased. Yes, yes. It's funny to put it back
1: in those Jesus terms, but I suppose that's right. Um, because so much of Jesus' teaching is about money, isn't it? And the Sermon of the Mount's about it, that uh, whole second half of chapter six is about our treasures on this earth rather than heaven. But materialism is so much part of the Australian lifestyle that we we find it hard to even see when we're being materialistic. Uh, we we rationalise our careerism uh, in terms of kind of spiritual importance when in fact it's just good old-fashioned materialism Um, it's seeing people's importance people's value by the kinds of job they do and then there's a pecking order of the jobs which is quite unrelated to the value in society so the garbage collector and the sewerage worker are never seen as high profile high but they of course are doing some of the most important work i mean if there's a strike amongst the sewerage workers and the garbage workers. We'd soon know about it. If there's a strike amongst the heart surgeons, I think we could go for quite some time. And the main people who'd know about it are all fat white men. Really, I mean, it's much as I think it's fantastic what a heart surgeon can do. It really is not quite as important as a good sewerage worker. <laughs> but we don't think like that. We have a a very
0: Status-oriented.
1: Status-oriented, yes. I was going to say very upper-middle-class Holy Spirit who only calls people into the most impressive jobs, the most status jobs. and it, It's a failure to understand the nature of work, the importance of work, the value of work. Failure to see that my work is my means of loving my neighbour in a, in a society that is built on division of labour... In doing my job is my love of my neighbour, and this is a very valuable thing. But we've turned it into my meaning of existence, my purpose, my fulfilment, my satisfaction, my importance, my status all the kinds of things that you're supposed to find in the gospel rather than in your work, if you're to find them at all. Because what the gospel teaches you is that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness. What the gospel teaches you is there, but for the grace of God go I. What the gospel teaches me is to lay down my life for the salvation of other people.
0: The way I once put it in a presentation I was giving was that Christians should all have the same career. Because what's a career? A career is it something that you devote yourself to, that you consider as having a direction and growth that will be the course and project of your whole life in which you are usually gaining training and development and professional growth in order to pursue your great life's project and career. And Christians have a career, it's just not in the workplace. It's to serve the Lord Jesus and be part of his great project and to grow and develop and and continue in our lives, becoming more able and skilled and knowledgeable and convinced that this great career, the career of being a disciple-maker of Jesus is what we're all called to.
1: It's a good way of seeing it, I think, Tony. And you see, you then place my job as being part of my Christian career, not as the alternative to a Christian ministry career. My career is to minister the gospel. Part of ministering the gospel is to be loving my neighbour. Part of loving my neighbour is the job I do It's as I serve them in in the coffee shop or as I serve them by by working on the farm. That is part of my Christian life. It's not my Christian life. It's not the same thing. It's just one subsection of the training
0: of my Christian career. Let's round this off, Philip, by asking you two questions. First of all... What would you say to gospel ministers, to leaders of churches who are listening to this conversation? How can they call the people in their churches to ministry and to paid ministry?
1: First and foremost, by calling them to the Lord Jesus Christ and His gospel. I know we think we're preaching the gospel, but let us make sure that we really are calling upon people to put their faith in their Saviour and to be obedient to the Lord and to actually press upon people the Lordship of Jesus for it is only by his Lordship that we can be saved and so to call upon people's repentance to be genuine and complete giving themselves to Jesus and the Gospel. So there is the first element the pastor has to do. If the pastor has himself got that on his heart, then world mission must be the first kind of call to our priorities, to our hopes, aspirations. So, being involved in the missionary cause of the gospel, not just in terms of making sure you've got overseas missionaries coming in and speaking and things like that, but in terms of making sure that as much as we can as a congregation, we are going out into the world to preach the gospel, so we're training people to be doing that which we're teaching people to do, namely to live their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. In that context, you will see those who have got the capacity, the competence to go away from working for a living in order to full-time study and then teach the gospel And so to challenge those people, encourage, help, assist those people to make that change in life is a critical things to be doing.
0: And for those who are listening, Philip, who are not in leadership positions in churches, who aren't thinking about how we can do this as a church, but are thinking about what this means for my life, what would you say?
1: It does require the recalibration to actually take seriously what the songs that we sing are about that this is not my life, it is his life. He has given me life. He has redeemed my life. My life is now lived for him. And so it is with your husband, with your wife, with your children to sit down and say, well, how is my life being lived? And that's what the beauty of weekends away, like this lift Conference or the Mission Minded Conference we went to, It just getting away for a couple of days to stop and think. Because in the busyness of life, I can be so active that I don't realize, well, what is my life about? There are certain transition places, university, uh, retirement, where you, you change the way in which you're living, starting work. You change the way you're living and they are critically important times. The first baby comes along when you first get married. the, The transition points in particular are times to take time out to stop and think, Okay, I'm giving my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given his life for me, of course. How now will I spend my time, my money, my efforts, my intentions that will advance the cause of the gospel? So for university students, when they're leaving uni, I say to them, don't be like the non-Christian graduate, don't be like the Christianised graduate. You see, the non-Christian graduate gets the best job he can, which will pay the most money he can to buy the biggest house he can. The Christianised one will get the best job he can to get the most money he can to get the biggest mortgage for the best house he can, but will then look around to see what church he might like to become a member of. No, no, no. What are you going to be is partners in the gospel? What is the ministry I'm seeking to do? That's the first question. second question is, what housing do I need in order to be able to, able to do that? The third question is, what job should I seek in order to be able to pay the rent to be able to do that ministry? You've got to turn the world upside down in its kind of perspectives of values, for that's what the gospel does
0: to us. I think that's a good point for us to round off the conversation and to say that if that raises questions and comments and thoughts in your heart, whether you're a church minister and leader thinking about how your ministry is going or someone who's thinking how their life is going and what transition you're going through and what priorities you have in your life, please do get in touch and let us know what you're thinking and ask your questions and make your comments. We'd love to hear from you. You can just hit reply to the email you receive with this podcast in it if you're on the Two Ways News Uh, emailing list, or you can email us at tonyjpain at me.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you're also receiving this uh, podcast and you're one of the free subscribers, you're on the list and you're receiving this each week, it's free to get the uh, Two Ways News every week. We also do have a supporters club that helps us just keep this going each week. And if you'd like to join that supporters club and just chip in a few dollars each month or each year to help us keep doing it, you can do that as well by going over to the Two Ways News website that's twoways.news and the other thing that you'll find on that website if you look in the show notes or the post for this week's episode are some details of some events that are coming up later in november where we can you can get together with us and hear about the ministry of two ways news and how you can support it we'd love to see you at some of those events it'd be great to catch up in person and talk more about these questions well that's all for this week in two ways news we're going to finish as we always do though by praying. Philip, will you pray for us?
1: Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you call us to yourself through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the outpouring of your spirit that would lead us to turn back to you, confessing our sins, finding forgiveness in the death of your son and finding new life in his resurrection. We do pray, Heavenly Father, you would help us now to see how to live for him and for the gospel that we might live our lives to his praise and to his glory to the conversion and salvation of others and to the building of your church. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.